right, praise God. Open your Bibles, if you will, to the book of Luke, chapter 16, and we're going to read our master text here in a moment. We're continuing on the series that we began a few weeks ago um, called Money Matters, Matters Pertaining to Money. And uh, once again, I want to just open up by saying that your money is very near and dear to your heart. Matthew 6.21 says, where your treasure is or your heart will be also. So where your money, your, your income, uh, that's very near and dear to your heart. So God knows that if he can be Lord over your money, over your finances, he can more easily be Lord over the rest of your life. So this series so far, we focused mostly on the various acts of generosity that God commands Emphasis on the word commands, not suggests. Uh, How many of you know that God has the right to tell you and me what to do? (laughs) Would you agree with that statement? So, uh, but today we're going to go in a little bit of a different direction and uh, talk about um, some true and false concepts as it pertains to money and uh, some other insights that I hope you find helpful as well. So let's go ahead and read our master text. Stand up with me if you will. And we're going to read just a few verses out of Luke chapter 16, verses 9 through 12. So here we go. I tell you, this is Jesus speaking, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. What's it talking about when it's gone? It's talking about you can't take it with you. Um, So that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? And all God's people say, Amen. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Praise the Lord. Let's get into this. All right, so um, what is Jesus teaching in that passage about money anyway? So I'm going to give you three key concepts right now uh, regarding what we just read and what Jesus is attempting to teach us about money. Number one, use your money, and I'm going to make you work a little bit this morning. So I have quite a bit of content in your notes, a lot of fill in the blanks there. I'm going to make you uh, um, use your mind. The more you write down, the more it seems to galvanize into the brain. Uh, So I won't work you too hard, but a little bit more writing than usual this morning. So the first concept is use your money with eternity in mind. Use your money with eternity in mind. And when you are in heaven, you will receive a reward based upon your generosity. That's the first concept right there. You'll receive a reward based upon your generosity. People are going to greet you and probably people you didn't even know and say, you know what, I'm in heaven because you gave to Kenya. Right. That's, that's totally, that's absolutely tr- the truth. Second concept, God is watching and evaluating how we handle the money and property we own now. God's watching and evaluating how you handle the money and property that you own now. And thirdly, how you handle someone else's property is a test. And future promotion for you and me hangs in the balance. 
So that's what Jesus is communicating with that short segment there in uh, that passage of Scripture. So what I want to communicate to you this morning is that how you use the money and resources that you have now is a predictor of how you would use more of it. And if you don't believe that, that's where we're going to start to get into some of these true and false concepts about money. And I'm going to ask you to help me out here. I'm going to put you to the test a little bit and ask you to chime in on some of these. So here's the the first true or false question. How I handle this small amount of money has no bearing on what I would do with a large amount of money. True or false? That's absolutely correct. It's false. You are correct. It's false. (laughs) Okay, so you passed the first one. Let me give you a a scriptural reference for that. So in in continuing reading in the book of uh, Luke, chapter 16, verses 10 and 11, um, it says, whoever is faithful with very little, remember we read this in our master text, whoever is faithful with very little will also be faithful with much, and whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been faithful with worldly wealth, who will entrust you with true riches? So that question right there, or that statement, how I handle this small amount of money has no bearing on what I would do with a large amount, false. Jesus said that's completely false. See, worldly wealth, the worldly wealth that Jesus is talking about there is obviously physical money. But what's he referring to when, it, when he says true riches? Well, he means that if, if a person can't be trusted with the smaller responsibility of handling the money and resources that God has entrusted to him or her right now, then that person can't be trusted with revelations from heaven about spiritual matters, deeper spiritual matters. So God won't promote a person in his kingdom if they can't even learn to handle their money correctly. That's what he's saying. So then the true riches are the things of God's kingdom. Now, to use a natural example, you know, if a a boss um, is considering entrusting an employee with leading a team in that place of business, he's not going to choose a person that can't even get to work on time. Would you agree with that? That, that boss wants to find somebody who's faithful doing what he does so he can rely on that person to lead that team. And the same is true in God's kingdom. You know, on that note, there are some people in the body of Christ who are interested in God entrusting them with more responsibility. But you know what? They come to church about half the time, if that. They give very little money, uh, contribute very little money into the church or the poor, and they gripe and complain about the bosses and the leaders that, that God has placed them under. And then they wonder why God's not using them more. Well, folks, God has to be able to trust you and me with the, quote, little things that you may feel like are not that important. But to God, these things are tests of our character. To God, these things are tests of our character. If you can't pass these little tests, he's not going to trust you with greater responsibility. That would be irresponsible on his part, wouldn't it? Just like that boss and trusting somebody to lead a team that can't even make it to work on time most of the time. That would be bad management. So it doesn't matter, folks, if you feel like you have a big call on your life. And some of you might have a big call on your life. But it doesn't matter. 
Because if you can't even show yourself faithful in these little things, that big calling will never materialize in its full expression. Are you with me? All right. So here's the next true or false question I'm going to test you with. Um, I don't mind cutting corners on this current job, but if I owned my own business, I would be very diligent. True or false? You're exactly correct. It is false. That's a false statement. As a matter of fact, let me give you a couple of scriptural references along those lines. Still reading from Luke chapter 16, verse 12 this time, uh, Jesus said, once again, if you've not been faithful with the belongings of another, who will give you belongings of your own? And then this actually relates to Proverbs 27, 18, which says, As workers who tend a fig tree are allowed to eat the fruit, so workers who protect their employer's interests will be rewarded. That's a huge statement right there for those of you that work under someone else. If you protect your employer's interests, you're going to be rewarded. See, you have to show yourself faithful and diligent now in whatever situation you happen to find yourself in. And when you do that, God will bless you and entrust you with more eventually. And let me say a word about loyalty here for a moment. You know, when someone has shown confidence in you and, and given you an opportunity, show honor to that person and serve him or her as if you were serving Christ. You know, that's what the Bible tells us to do, to serve our employers well, not just when their eye is upon you, but all the time, serving honorably, once again, as if you were serving Christ. And the Bible says that when we do that, there's rewards for that sort of thing. And another point about loyalty here, loyalty also means not jumping ship when you get bored or when things happen to get difficult. See, God wants to see some perseverance through difficulty, and that's a test of your character as well. Folks, not everything good in life is always going to come easily. Did you know that? I think some of the younger generation may not feel that that's the case, but not everything good in life always comes easily. So, be a blessing to your employer, and not just to those who are good and kind, by the way, but the Bible also tells us to be good workers even for bosses who are evil. That's what it says. Be good workers for bosses who are evil, and this is a good reflection on Christ. Now, by the way, that doesn't mean that there's never going to be a time where you look for a different job or a different career. But be careful about dishonoring leaders who have placed confidence in you. See, be loyal and be the best worker that you can possibly be, going above and beyond what's expected of you. Going above and beyond what's expected of you. Now, on that note, a couple of weeks ago, Samantha Denny came up and gave a testimony about um, how her employer came to her and said, you know, we've been watching the way that you've been working, and we've overlooked the fact that... Uh, I don't know exactly the precise details, Samantha, but I think I remember her saying that uh, they've been way overdue in giving her a raise. 
So in watching her work ethic and going above and beyond the call of duty, they gave her an unexpected but huge raise. See, that's the way that this works. If you go above and beyond the call of duty and say, let me do what's expected of me and then some. Now, it may take a while, but people are going to start to notice that and God's going to promote you, whether in that job or a different job, God will see to it that that's promoted. Praise God. You know, now that I've been working in the industry that I work in outside of ministry uh, since 1993, I've developed a certain skill set. And there are a number of people that have come to me over the years asking me to consider making a job change. And I've, I've never entertained any of those opportunities, um, even though some of them have looked attractive. Well, why have I not entertained those opportunities. Because the man I work for is the one who saw potential in me that I didn't even see in myself 29 years ago. And he's the one who invested in me. Not these other people who see the skill set that I now have, but he's the one who invested in me and invested in my training and my learning. So I figure I owe him a lot. So I remain loyal to him until which time it is very obvious that God is making a change and moving me out. And see, I think God has blessed me for that loyalty and uh, that faithfulness. I hardly know anybody these days who's had a, the same job for 29 years. Yeah, a few of you maybe have, but, but I don't know very many people that keep a job that long. And God blesses that faithfulness. And again, that's not to say that there's never going to be a time where you don't make a change, but look for ways to be loyal to your employer. And by the way, I think this, this applies in ministry as well. Be, be loyal to leaders who have been good to you and placed confidence in you and go above and beyond the call of duty for them. This is pleasing to our God and reaps a sure reward. Now, there's a, several of you here in the congregation. I'm just going to mention one or two. Doug Bringle's not here this morning. He's traveling out of state today. But, but you know, I really appreciate Doug's attitude. Uh, he just takes ownership of what he does back there in the sound booth with the AV stuff. And when things were not working out, when we got our new board and we were on a learning curve about getting the sermons recorded and we went three weeks in a row and we're not able to get the sermons recorded, he took such ownership of that that he got very upset that those sermons didn't get recorded. Um, not upset with anybody in particular, it just frustrated him uh, that those sermons didn't get recorded because he took such ownership of it. And he said to me, I just want to make things easy on you, Pastor. And see, that's the attitude that we need to have where the superiors that God has placed us under. So I love it when people take ownership of the jobs that they've been assigned. And you know, one of the things that irks me the most um, as a pastor, as a leader, is when people have lazy attitudes about things. And folks, I have mercy, really, I have a lot of mercy on people's honest mistakes and even serious sins because I too am a very imperfect person. But there's something about laziness and half-hearted efforts that I have to fight back really negative emotions about. So it goes back to this passage on the screen here, Proverbs 27, 18. As workers who tend a fig tree are allowed to eat the fruit, 
so workers who protect their employer's interests will be rewarded. So I just like it when people are giving even menial tasks, but even the menial tasks they take ownership of and they want to do it excellently. I like that sort of thing. And I, I just, I just, I don't know, it just frustrates the living daylights out of me when people are given a job and they just don't seem to care. That's just, just, anyway, I won't go off on that. So when you've been given a job to do, whether it's in the marketplace or whether it's in the church, do that job as if it was your business, that you owned the business. Do it like that. Or do your job as if it's your church. Do it like that. And that kind of attitude sets you up for promotion in God's kingdom. And we can reference here biblically Joseph in the book of Genesis. Every single situation that Joseph found himself in, he found a way to be a blessing in that setting and to go above and beyond what was expected of him, even when he got thrown into a dungeon for a crime that he did not commit, he was falsely accused, he found a way to be a blessing even there, and the, the warden put him in charge of everything because he did everything so well. He didn't have to do that. He was falsely accused. He was in a dungeon for Pete's sake. He didn't have to step in, up and say, okay, how can I be a blessing even here? But that's what he did. And that's an example to you and me. And by the way, me bringing this up, I'm not trying to target anyone that's doing a poor job. I think everyone that's been given a, a task in this church is all doing it excellently. You're all doing a very, very good job. So I just want to congratulate you on that. But keep up the good work. All right, praise the Lord. Here's the next true or false question here. I should make it my ambition to become financially independent so that I don't rely on other people for help. Now, before you answer, be careful, because I need to give you a qualifier, okay? So, um, once again, I should make it my ambition to become financially independent so that I don't rely on other people for help. Notice that here that I, uh, I, I use the words, I shouldn't be relying on other people for help, at least not on a regular basis anyway. You know, ultimately, we have to understand that we can do nothing apart from Christ. Would you agree with me on that? So we can't get prideful about anything. Oh, I'm a self-made man. No, you're not. You're, you're a result of God's mercy upon your life. Okay? So he's the one that we rely on for our needs, okay? So this statement is true, but with the understanding of, of us putting our hope in God first and foremost. So let me give you a, a qualifying scripture along the lines of that point, and then I'm gonna provide some additional guidance on this statement. So the, the qualifying scripture is this, 1 Timothy 6.17, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in who? God, who richly provides, I love this part, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. God wants you to enjoy some things. Hallelujah. All right. So with that in mind, yes, this statement that I should make it my ambition to become financially independent so that I don't rely on other people for help, that statement is true. 
but let me give you some scriptural guidance along these lines. So let me first reference 2 Thessalonians 2.9, which says this, Don't you remember, dear brothers and sisters, how hard we worked among you? It's the Apostle Paul speaking about his ministry. Um, Night and day we toiled to earn a living so that we would not be a burden to any of you as we preached God's good news to you. Okay, so even the Apostle Paul and the people that he worked with sometimes worked outside of the ministry like what I do to be able to, to provide enough of a living for himself where he didn't put a burden on the church, sort of like what I'm doing here at this church. Second one is 2 Thessalonians 3.10, which says, For even when we were with you, we were commanding you this, that if anyone is not willing to work, neither let him eat. All right? Now, listen. If you're disabled and you can't work, or something unforeseen happens and puts you in a terrible financial situation, it is okay to accept charity. Okay, I just want to qualify that. But as much as it depends on you, we should be endeavoring to make a good living for ourselves and not put a burden on other people. And in fact, we should make it our goal, ladies and gentlemen, to be the ones giving aid, not always having to receive aid. Now, okay, listen, there's another side of this. Don't get in pride about this either, because let me paint a scenario for you. You know, my dad and his brothers, uh, when, when... they were still alive. He has three brothers that are all deceased now. But it was very interesting watching them get together over a meal. Because they would literally fight about who was going to get to pay for the meal. I mean, they would, I mean it would almost get heated. Um, and none of, them, none of them wanted to back down. So don't get in pride uh, either about receiving help if you need it. See, if you're in a situation where you need aid temporarily, um, just swallow your pride and it's okay to accept it. See, let those who can get a blessing by helping you because someday you'll be able to pass that blessing on to somebody else that needs help. But again, as much as it depends on you um, and your dependence on the Lord, of course, it should be your aim to not be a burden on anyone, but to ease people's burdens when you can. That's the whole point. And here's another scriptural evidence of that point right there. First um, Timothy 5.16 says this, if any believing woman has dependent widows, okay, so let me just stop right there and explain what he means. If there's a woman who in her extended family, there's a widow or widows in her extended family, That's what it's talking about. It goes on to provide this instruction. She must assist them and not allow the church to be burdened so it can help the widows who are truly in need. And what it's talking about there is widows who don't have any other family members to help them out. All they have is the church. So it's telling people that if there's widows in your family, you as a believer ought to be helping those widows and not put a burden on the church so that the church can be helping widows who are truly in need, who don't have anybody else to help them. That's what it's saying. Okay? So yes, we do need to become financially independent, at least working in that direction, so that we don't rely on other people for help, so that we can be the one giving aid. You agree with that? All right, praise the Lord. Here's the next true or false 
Question. Success is measured by the amount of money I earn. True or false? That is false. You know, on the other hand, though, I think some people of God look around at the ungodly people in the world, the ones that seem so happy and successful and healthy and financially well off, and we begin to envy them. Um, and that's the situation that the psalmist found himself in when he penned the words of Psalm 73. We won't read that, but you should go read that in, in uh, your spare time because the psalmist starts out by kind of bemoaning some of the trouble he was having in his life. And he was looking at some of the ungodly people and say, their bodies are always strong and healthy. They're financially well off. They're happy. They're doing well. And then he's kind of complaining to God. And then he says, he went to the house of God and got a different perspective. And he realized that being in the house of God, he got a revelation that there is an end to people who are rich in this world, but not rich toward God, that is not a good end. And so he got a different perspective there. And Jesus actually once told a parable along these same lines about a, a rich man who cared nothing for the poor, but just heaped up goods for himself. And the Bible tells us that that rich man died suddenly and went to hell. And there in hell, he was in torment. Hell is a real place, and it's a place of torment. And there in hell, he begged for relief, but no relief came. That's something we ought to just think about right there. I guess that point right there. There is judgment to come. And that's why Jesus came to deliver us from that judgment when we place our faith in him. Hallelujah. But... That parable also shines a spotlight on another place where Jesus also said these words in Mark 8.36. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world yet forfeits his soul? You see, that's why the Bible cautions us about being trapped by the lust of money or greed because it's idolatry. And the Bible says that no idolater will enter the kingdom of heaven. 1 Timothy 6.10 speaks to that. We've read this before earlier in our series, but it, it bears repeating for this teaching today as well. For the love of money, talking about lust of money or greed, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. By craving it or lusting after it, some have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. So be careful about just craving more. The Bible says that the eyes of man are never satisfied. You know, we may make $50,000 a year and we say, oh, if I can just get to 70,000, we get to 70,000. It was like, oh, if I can just get to, to 100,000, we get to 100,000. Oh, if I could just get to 150. We're never satisfied. The eyes of man are never satisfied. So let me just help you here this morning. If you like what you do for a living, if you're happy, and you make a decent living for yourself, and you're able to give generously on top of that, well, I would have to say, you're a success. You are a, you're blessed, and you're a success. Praise God. And uh, 
Here's yet another one, yet another true or false statement I want you to help me with. Um, I should have boundaries where my career is concerned and not allow the pursuit of success to interfere with important matters of family and good deeds. True or false? Absolutely true. Absolutely true. Let me tell you a story along these lines. I used to know a very successful doctor that I was a client of mine in Kentucky. And not only was his practice highly successful, but he also owned a side business with show horses. And that was extremely successful as well. So he was a go-getter and a mover and a shaker in the business world, but eventually he wound up alone because his wife and all of his children turned against him. See, he was so focused on making money that he forgot the more important things in life and wound up losing his family. Folks, money can't take the place of relationships. As I've, you've heard me say, money makes a lousy God. And money certainly can't buy you happiness or a ticket to heaven, as a matter of fact. Let me read to you Luke 12, 15, the, the words of Jesus. Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. There's more to money, there's more to life than making money. Is it an important part of life? Yeah, absolutely, that's why we're on this series. So that we can place ourselves in the position for God to bless us more. We've gotta have the right attitude about it. We've gotta have the right attitude about it or we will never prosper in God. If we're prideful about money, if we're greedy, if we're idolatrous about money, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. When I was interviewing for the job that I still have now, 29 years later, when I was interviewing for that job, I told my boss-to-be that if this job requires me to work so many hours and uh, travel so much that it, it sacrifices my family time and hinders my church attendance, that I'm not his man. I told him not to hire me if that's what the job requires. And he hired me anyway. Folks, listen, if you're allowing anything to get in the way of the things of God and the health of your family, you're going to be sorry. The law of sowing and reaping is going to work against you, and it's going to come back to bite you, I promise. Because there's a law of sowing and reaping. But if you prioritize the things of God above everything else, you're tenacious about prioritizing the things of God above everything else, and you guard your family relationships, then you're going to reap a sure reward. So, honor God, honor his house, and God will honor you. And in doing so, be diligent to train your children. Listen to the words of Proverbs 22.6. Train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Listen to me very carefully, ladies and gentlemen. I've been sent by the Lord to tell you this. Parents with kids still in the home, you need to listen even more attentively right now. This means 
that your kids need to see you prioritizing the things of God in your life. But if they see you compromising for lesser things, you're teaching them to do the same thing by your example. If you want your children to be faithful church attenders when they get older and to get out on their own, they need to see you doing the very same thing. If you want your kids to be kids of prayer or adults of prayer when they grow up, they need to see you being committed to prayer. If you want your children to be students of the Bible and committed to learning the wisdom of God's word, they need to see you being committed to learning the things of God in his word. If you want your kids to serve and to feed the poor and other acts of charity and generosity and service, they need to see you doing the same thing as well because you're leading by example. Listen, folks, it's difficult enough to raise godly kids when you are doing these things. But if you're not, I can guarantee you, you're going to be sorry that you didn't set a better example for your kids. All right, that's all the true and false questions I have for you. Now we're going to talk about some other uh, points of, of guidance from the scriptures uh, as we uh, start to come down home stretch here. So let's deal with this question right here. Is debt a sin? You don't have to answer just because we're going to, I'm going to try to provide some illumination on this for you. Is debt a sin? Well, first of all, I'm going to refer to Romans 13:8, which says, Owe no one anything except to love one another. That's Romans 13:8 in the New King James Version. Um, I like the way the NIV translates it because I think it's a little bit more clear. It says, Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. In other words, pay your bills. Pay your bills. Don't default on loans. Pay your bills. Okay, be a good steward. I want to give you a little bit of insight on the Old Testament and how it handled debt, <clears throat> they, how God commanded people to handle debt in the Old Testament. See, debt in ancient Israel um, was a way that people could pull themselves out of a desperate situation if they happened to have a financial collapse. Um, you know, they could borrow money or loan themselves out and then work their way back eventually. So debt was not forbidden in ancient Israel. It wasn't ideal, of course, but it was helpful in some situations when there was a, a terrible financial collapse in, in the case of some people. And the ones who were the debtors were not allowed to be harsh or cruel or unfair with those who were indebted to them. As a matter of fact, every 50th year in ancient Israel was considered the year of Jubilee, where all slaves had to be set free and all debts had to be forgiven no matter how big it was. Okay, so that was the way that God commanded the ancient Israelites to handle debt in that culture. But there's another side of this that we need to understand as a modern culture where debt is concerned, and that is Proverbs 22.7, which says the borrower is servant to the lender. So debt's not a great idea. Now, by the way, the, the ultra-rich, um, one of the ways that they use debt, and they do use debt to their advantage, so they will, they'll use debt to buy an office building or something, and then put a bunch of renters in that office building, and then pay down their debt really quickly and get the whole building paid off in, in no time because of all the people that come in and, and pay rent to them. So there is a way to use debt that's actually very beneficial. 
But the point that I want to make here, which is our Americanized way to use debt for the, the common person, is that we just use debt for everything. We see something we like, maybe we don't have the money to pay for it, we go borrow money for it. And there's certain things that I think that's, that's fine for a house or a car maybe, but man, we get into, people get into debt over all kinds of crazies. So they rack up huge credit card bills. That's not a great idea. The, the, listen, the borrower is servant to the lender. If you can get out from under your debt, that's a good idea, okay? So we should learn to spend significantly less than what we earn. Here's another little bit of a guidance from the scriptures for you. Know the condition of your financial estate and manage it well. Here's your scriptural reference for that. Proverbs 27, verses 23 and 24. Be sure to know the state of your flocks and pay close attention to your herds. For riches are not forever, nor does a crown endure for every generation. So just because you're making a certain amount of money today doesn't mean you're going to make that same amount five years from now. So manage well uh, the amount of money that you make right now, your estate right now, so that if hard times do come, you have some cushion. That's what the Bible is telling us to do, is to manage, money, manage your money well. If you don't really know how to manage your money well, get some books to read. There's even a, a really simple book out there called Money Management for Dummies. So something like that. I mean, there's all kinds of books out there to teach you how to manage your money if, if, you're, if you don't really know how to do that. All right. Um, and then this is my last one. Be cautious in lending to friends or family members and don't co-sign loans. Again, my scriptural reference, Proverbs 22, verses 26 and 27. Do not be the one who shakes hands and pledge or puts up security for debts. If you lack the means to pay, your very bed will be snatched from under you. And one of the reasons why it's not a good idea to loan money to friends and family members is because if they lack the ability to pay you back, guess what? Your relationship just got really strained. Really strained. And so if, some, if a family member or a friend comes to you asking to borrow money, you really need to have a strong talk with them and, and point them out to, to this scripture right here and say, look, I'm really uncomfortable with doing this. So there's, is there another way you can get this money from a different, because you don't want, look, I've heard of family members, one person lends a certain amount of money to another and that person can't pay it back. And guess what? They don't even talk anymore because the person that can't pay the money back is embarrassed and they don't want to get in that conversation with that person. Same things happen with friends. It's destroyed friendships. So I would encourage you to avoid that kind of scenario if possible. And on that note, I, I, you know, this is just some really good sound wisdom, isn't it? And on that note, I want to encourage you to seek out wisdom in your life. Be a student of life and a lifelong learner. And the Bible tells us in the book of Proverbs that wisdom will actually enrich your life financially. Financially, that's what it says. So be a student of the Bible, and in particular, be a, a, a student of the book of Proverbs, which is just a treasure of wisdom. Okay, I'm going to get to some, uh, uh, a couple of uh, testimonies here in a minute, but I want to end uh, this part of our time together with uh, this passage right here from Psalm 35, 27. Let the Lord be magnified who has pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. Now there's a qualifier to that because you know everything that we've looked at so far in this series is about getting your heart right. 
And as we do, then the blessings will follow. Psalm 35, 27 applies in that situation. Let the Lord be magnified who has pleasure in the prosperity or the well-being of his servant. God likes it when you do well. Not only does it make him look good as your heavenly father, but he just takes pleasure in the fact that his children who he loves are doing well. And folks, the, the fact that you're hearing this series right now is evidence of this truth right now because he has arranged it for you to be sitting under this teaching for the last several weeks and hear these truths. Some of you have never even heard some of this that we've talked about in these last several weeks. And I find that to be true with a lot of people. They don't understand these concepts that the Bible teaches about money. So the fact that you're hearing this is evidence that God wants you to do well. Hallelujah. All right. So it's time for some testimonies. I'm going to begin with Brent Denny. I've asked him to share a little testimony of his this morning. So Brent, would you come on up and share with us? There you go. Thank you, Pastor, for asking me to, to do this. Um, before I say anything else, there's some things that I have to say to glorify God that I have to talk about myself. And please ignore that part and just focus on the glorification of God. So tithing can be sort of a scary thing. And uh, to trust God to that level. And it's kind of like a haunting story, only this is a tithing story of Samantha and Brent Denny. So Samantha and I, we came together uh, laden in debt, credit card debt, loans for cars, mortgage, et cetera, et cetera. That is the, the lifestyle that we knew. We made enough to pay our bills, and then it was just this revolving door. And so over the years uh, in this relationship, I think both of us caught on that God's principles weren't going to change, so we needed to change something. So. A few years ago, uh, before we met all of you beautiful people at Blessed Life Fellowship, Samantha and I made some radical changes in our life. Change number one, Samantha was the Lord. She was speaking to her as a mother, stop your job and focus on your child. Samara was struggling in the public school system. It was a nightmare. Our only way to rescue her was to give up one income to focus on the family, which is what we did, which we were convinced was the leading of the Holy Spirit. Amen. At the same time, the Holy Spirit overwhelmingly convicting us, and I can tell you married people, what a blessing it is when the Spirit came to me and said, dude, you have to finally listen to me, quit being stubborn, Follow my word, Proverbs 3, 9 and 10, Malachi 3, 10. Do it. So we're one income down. I go to my partner in life and say, the Lord deserves the bare minimum of our 10% on the full gross. Because we'd been trying to tithe ourselves on the net with one income down. So now we're going to up our giving. One income down, let's go the whole gross, a tithe on the gross. You know what my partner in life said? Let's do it. <laughs> That's 
just how important it is to be like-minded in Christ Amen. and what a blessing it is. So we did. Not long after that, COVID, my employer took 20% of my income. Did you talk about the devil tempting somebody to go back? Me and my partner said, no way. We're leaning into this. Well, the Holy Spirit had convicted us. He was bringing us along, and he was already bearing fruit. And so we leaned this way into it. And we wouldn't give up the tithe. And that's where we met you all. Since that time, long story short, Samantha contacted an employer, contacted her, and offered her a job that she could stay at home, homeschool our child, and have an income. God gave us our income back. Hallelujah. My 20% came back. And in that time, three years with Blessed Life Fellowship, Samantha has had a 40% total increase in her income. Wow. That, to, to God's glory, our 401k investment started to, to change. And we are now able to go above our tithe and finding places where we're able to give the, uh, the additional gifts and special offerings and respond to those things. We could not be more grateful, but get this, we have zero credit card debt. We do still have some loans, but even those we've made a major impact on. And God is going to see us through to where we can give more than we keep. That is his promise. So let's give God glory to that. I never thought we'd be <laughs> free, did you? I mean, it's just a wonderful feeling. And, uh, but there's this Paul Harvey little twist, the rest of the story, that is my testimony today. Just a small little twist. Um, pastor, when I told him the story that I'm about to tell you, he said it put into his mind um, Psalm 112. And I think it's like verses 5 and 6 that those who give generously, basically you obey God, and those who give generously, they don't fear bad news. Some time ago, my function at Cummins, which has been, Cummins has been very good to me. I will always say that. They have been very good to me. And they still are. But after 24 years in the IT function, and I have lived through everything, I saw a reorg coming that started to look different, feel different, smell different. And I didn't, it didn't bother me. People are talking about what's going to happen, this and this. Do you realize where you are? They're talking about maybe not using your talent or your skill anymore. I just didn't, it didn't phase me. So all this is going on around me. And then I was prompted to just contact and have a conversation with someone. A friend of mine said, you might talk to somebody over here in this new program that's starting up. So I had a conversation with someone who said, let's meet when you get back from vacation. During that vacation, I had a nightmare. In that nightmare, my situation at work was dismal. I was being worn out by a boss who just, I couldn't please. It was just a nightmare. And I woke up from that dream and I sat up and the first words out of my mouth is, wow, I'm glad that's over. Lord, you would never let that happen to me. And I never thought about it again. Amen. Getting to the end, when I returned home, that one call wasn't a call with one person. That was an interview. 
they pretty much offered me a different position in an exciting new program on the spot. Day one, when I get back from my vacation. <clears throat> Sorry, I get choked up. Easy. I made a beeline to the boss that I reported to, still in the IT function, and she said, that's amazing. Uh, the timing could not be more perfect because I just came from a conversation with the leadership and I was worried about you. But God had taken care of me before my boss could tell me what her worry was. And he's moved me into a new and wonderful place. Glory to God. God takes care of his own, especially when we're faithful to do what he tells us. Can you handle a little bit more? I have one more short testimony to give where I'm concerned, and then we're going to close it down here. You know, last week I gave you quite a bit of, of, of background upon my journey and Donna's uh, with us coming out of poverty and, and the wonderful things God did for us. One, of the, one detail I left out, and I can't believe that I left this out, but I need to insert this in here. You know, when, when Donna and I first got married, as I mentioned last week, I walked down the aisle unemployed because the place that I worked for was uh, closed down. Uh, two weeks prior to me getting married. So I walked down the aisle unemployed. Donna didn't make a whole lot of money either. And so she was trying to support us while I looked for, for some decent work um, on her meager income. And it was, it was real tight. Um, but we had made a commitment as a couple. We're going to tithe no matter what. No matter what, off the gross. That was our commitment. And so what little money was coming in from Donna's income we tithe off that right off the top before we paid any bills or did anything else. That came out off the top. And then we paid our bills after that. And then if there was anything left over, then we got to buy groceries. And folks, we were so poor at the time that sometimes there wasn't money left over to buy groceries. So I don't always recommend this, but the way that we got to eat is we racked up a fairly large credit card bill buying groceries. That's, that's how we ate. We used a credit card and racked up a fairly large credit card bill. I wouldn't always recommend that to everyone, but that's just what we did because that's how we survived that period of time. And a few weeks went by and it didn't look like anything was happening. We were still faithful with our tithe. We never waned. And that's when I landed the job that I have now and I've been doing 29 years later, and God has blessed me exponentially since that time. But the, but the commitment had to be there. I'm going to honor God no matter what. We're going to honor God no matter what it looks like right now. I'm going to honor God first. We're going to honor God first because we have faith that when we do what he tells us, he's going to come through for us, and he did. Now, there's, there was some times that, man, our faith began to wane a little bit because it didn't look like that anything was happening. But you had to hang in there and persevere. And God came through for us in dramatic fashion, dramatic fashion. Now, fast forward 13 years, my income continued to progress and grow exp uh, exponentially and steadily for the next 13 years until 2006. 2006 came along and we decided to build a large new house on three acres, and we did a lot of the work ourselves to save us some money, did a lot of sweat equity. So I wasn't as, I wasn't as focused 
on my job like I was. And we weren't even as focused on really just worshiping God with our tithe. We just kind of robotically, uh, we just kind of robotically tithe and just not, didn't really just worship God with it. We did it religiously. Um, and I, I saw for the first time in my 13-year career at that time a significant downturn in my sales and therefore my income. And um, it was a frustrating and tough year because we're, here we are just building this new house that was based partly upon the income I was making, and now we got a significant financial downturn. I'm like, oh, okay, Lord. So then, okay, what do, what do you do in a situation like that? So... We had been supporting a missionary couple at that time. And I called them up and I, said, I explained to them what happened with our financial downturn. And it was significant. It was a significant financial downturn based upon the fact that my sales dropped fairly significantly during that year. And uh, I called our missionary couple and I explained what happened. And of course, I know what they were thinking. They were bracing themselves for me telling them, um, we're not going to be able to give to you or we're going to give less to you. But I told them, here's what's going to happen. You get a raise. And they're like, what? I said, you get a raise. We're going to fight fire with fire. Um, Satan thinks that he can ding our finances like this. So we're just going to ante it up even more and give even more. And so we gave a significant amount more to that missionary couple that was around, I'm going to say August or maybe September. By October, I had a significant bump in my sales. I got a significant raise in October. And in 2009, I got five more significant raises. Five. And God has just been so faithful to us ever since. So if things go backwards for you, um, you know, just consult the Lord about what to do. That's what we did in our situation. We fought fire with fire. It's like, okay, devil, you think you can take from us? Take that. Our, our missionaries get a raise. And uh, bam, the Lord responded, and we got refocused on worshiping God with our money. We got refocused on, on, I mean, we were just so busy with the building of that house that, you know, other things, you know, kind of fell by the wayside. But man, when we got focused on worshiping God with our money again, refocused on being more generous, God came through. So that's our testimony. And God has continued to be faithful to us ever since then. I won't say that there's not been little ebbs and flows along the way, but the pattern has been an, an upward trend. And so, folks, God's no respecter of persons. He wants to do this for all of you as well, but you've got to start someplace. You've got to start someplace. Begin worshiping God with your money and trusting his promises, and that's the life of faith. When you begin trusting God with your money, like he says that he wants you to, to use it and invest it and, and be generous with it, He's not a man that he should lie. He's always going to come through on his end of the bargain if you come through on your end. None of this is a salvation issue, okay? It's not like you're going to go to hell or anything if you don't become more generous because our salvation is not based upon works. But the, the, the greater things of the kingdom we get to enjoy are predicated to some degree on our end of the bargain. God says, I'll do this if you do that. All through the Bible. All through the Bible. Okay? All right. Has this been a blessing to you? Praise the Lord. Stand up and let's pray.
You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Andy Robbins and Blessed Life Fellowship. For more teaching and ministry resources, go to the church website at www.blessedlifefellowship.org. Thanks for listening, and may God's grace and favor shine on you.